they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome to the Bible with the Barbers. I see you can't see it. That's all right. We're going to continue uh, with it. Mary Danielle, I'm not babysitting today. I'm with <laughs> you. back, Terry. <laughs> and, and you know, Mary, I, this, this Bible study that you do here at Virgin Most Powerful, the bottom line, if I could describe it, it's a world biblical view on everything from family life to salvation to um, how we deal with government issues in our life with, with right. a biblical worldview. If something is being presented that is anti-God, right. we stand up and say, that's not right. right. We speak up. Amen. So what are we talking about today? Well, today we're going to talk about forgiveness. Ooh. We want to read today's gospel. For today's day, yep. And, uh, which is Friday of the um, 11th week in Ordinary Time. Mm -hmm. But I also encourage everyone to read that second letter to the Corinthians, which is the first reading for this week. All week long, Paul is reading that. Uh, we're, reading, we're hearing from St. Paul. And of course, when you hear that first reading, you're not hearing the whole second Corinthians. Mm -hmm. But you need to read it. It's really, really important. Good. But we're going to read from the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 6, 19 to 23. Now, this is just after the Our Father, and Jesus is still, this is still the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is still instructing his apostles. And he says to his disciples, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and decay destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor decay destroy, nor thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there also your heart will be. The lamp of the body is the eye. If your eye is sound, your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be in darkness. And if the light in you is darkness, how great will the darkness be? Mm. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. It's one of the things I love about the Bible study. You know, you get to deep... D dig deeper into the scriptures and and go a little deeper take more time to find out what is the background what's going on here what does jesus have in mind when he's saying these words okay well the first do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth mm -hmm. where moth and rust consume why were we made we were made for god we were made by god we were made to be in heaven with god no earthly creature no no created thing can compare to god and it can't obtain us heaven. It doesn't matter how rich you are. You can't buy your way to heaven. It doesn't matter how smart you are. You can't educate your way to heaven. No, T to get to heaven, we have to surrender ourselves completely to God and say, Lord, you made us for yourselves. You want us in heaven with you. We need to cooperate in that and allow you to work in our lives in order to produce the fruit you want to produce. So we have to surrender ourselves to God. And it's not about what we do so much as about that surrender to God and that allowing God to work in and through us to accomplish his purpose, but not clinging to the things of this earth. Now, you know, if God gives you earthly wealth, remember, there are a lot of pe poor people in this world. If God gives you earthly wealth, um, he gives it to you to share with the poor. All right, we're supposed to share with others when we've been given more of this world's good. That was one of the things that was um, evident in the early Christian community was... Um, the sharing, okay? 
when people had more than they needed of the world's goods, they would bring their extra to the apostles and lay it at the apostles' feet to be distributed among the, the poorer people so that everybody had the same. Everybody was equal, okay? Um, so the idea is very clear. Man's heart yearns for treasures which will give him security and happiness. However, every treasure in the form of earthly goods, wealth, property, education, whatever, good looks, talent, become a constant source of worry because there's always the risk we will lose it mm -hmm. and because the effort to protect it is such a strain. Against this, Jesus teaches us here that our treasure lies in good works and in an upright life, which will be eternally rewarded by God in heaven. That indeed is a treasure which one never loses, mm. a treasure on which Christ's disciples should put their heart. Jesus closes this teaching Excuse me. Jesus closes the teaching contained in the preceding verses with a kind of refrain. He is not saying that people should not should be unconcerned about earthly things. What he does say is that no created thing can be the treasure. The created things are means. They are means to an end. The end is union with God. And the created things were given to us to help us move toward union with God. As St. Ignatius would say in his exercises, insofar as created things are helping you to get closer to God, okay, you can use them. But if you find out they're an obstacle, you better reject them. You better put them away and put them aside. Mm. The ultimate aim of man is union with God. What man should do is make his way to God, sanctify himself, which is actually God will sanctify you if you ask. God sanctifies us, but we have to ask for it. It's, it's a desire. Do you want faith? Ask for it. Do you want hope? Ask for it. Do you want charity? Ask for it. Do you want to be sanctified? Ask God every day to sanctify you and give all glory to God by making right use of the noble things of this earth. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, St. Paul would write, do all things to the glory of God. That's in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, and also compare Colossians 3 to 17. You know, Mary, that's a good point you made about asking God for more faith and trust. It seems to me that if you don't put it on the calendar of every day, it doesn't happen. So I think a good time is either early in the morning, right, when you say your morning prayers, or at the end of the day. Or both. Or both. Begin and end your day. with This, this is my intention. I, I was made by God. I'm made for God. Lord, idea. I want to do everything this day for you. And then at the end of the day, you can ask yourself, well, Lord, Lord, standing here before you, how did I do? You know, and, and it's not about beating yourself up or don't look at yourself. Say, Lord, yeah, I'm, I, without your grace, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. And I failed today. And there were times when I chose the things of this earth over you. I'm sorry. And help me to do better tomorrow. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think that it's, it's holy habits. I call it yeah. the holy yeah. habit program. And just like, you know, many of you want to lose weight. I get it. You have to exercise, eat the right foods. Right. It's a little discipline to, to lose weight. But in the spiritual life, it applies also in, with discipline. Go and do your morning prayers every morning. Get in that habit, that holy habit. They say that a habit will be built in after about 90 days. Right. So we keep working at it. Don't, don't give up and don't mm -hmm. get discouraged if you have a hard time. Now, the second part of that reading today talks about um, the, the eye being the lamp of the body. Mm -hmm. well, what, what is this referring to? Well, it's interesting. There's more to this passage than meets the eye. <laughs> wow, that's cute. An ancient metaphor, the eye is the lamp for the body. It, it, you see it in Proverbs 15.30, Tobit 10.5, and Sirach 23.19. Jesus uses it to advocate generosity. 
He's talking about generosity. Those with evil or unsound eyes are stingy with their belongings. What? How could you say that? Well, what's interesting, I'm getting this from a commentary, the, the commentary by wow. Scott Hahn and Curtis Mitch from the Ignatius Study Bible. Mm -hmm. So I looked up their biblical references, mm -hmm. and, and it's exactly true. The Bible tells us that if your eye is bad, it's because you're stingy. Okay? What, what do they mean by a bad eye? Well, it says here in Deuteronomy, um, Deuteronomy 15, verse 9, Take heed lest there be a base thought in your heart, and you say, The seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eye be hostile to your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cry to the Lord against you, mm -hmm. and it be sin in you. So it's referring to you turn your eye against your brother. You're not being generous to him. And then in Sirach, we have a, a passage here that was um, Sirach 14, 8 through 10. And again, the Old Testament is telling us something about the, this darkened eye. What does this refer to? So Sirach 14, 8 through 10, and it says, Evil is the man with a grudging eye. He averts his face and disregards people. A greedy man's eye is not satisfied with a portion, and mean injustice withers his soul. A stingy man's eye begrudges bread and is lacking at his table. So he refuses to give to the poor, and that's the Old Testament context. And Jesus is thinking of this as he says this, make sure that your eye is sound. Because if your eye is not sound, if you're not generous toward your neighbor, you're not going to be giving to them. And you're, you're keeping from them. And it's, it's interesting because the saints will say, you know, if you have more than you need of this world's goods and there are poor people around you and you're not sharing with them, you're actually stealing from the poor mm -hmm. because the poor are there. So here is another jewel of Jesus's wisdom. It begins with a sentence which is then immediately explained. The master uses the simile of the eye as a lamp which provides the body with light. Christian exegesis has seen this eye, this lamp, as meaning the motivation behind our behavior. St. Thomas explains it in this way. The eye refers to motive. When a person wants to do something, he first forms an intention. Thus, if your intention is sound, simple and clear, that is to say, if it is directed towards God, your whole body, that is all your actions, will be sound, sincerely directed towards the good. So that's what's going to give light to our life, mm -hmm. is when we are sincerely directed toward God. Yeah. And we need to ask ourselves in all of our actions, are we sincerely directed toward God? Or, you know, sometimes we think we're doing God's work, but the reality is, is we're pleasing ourselves. Yeah. We're doing what we want to do because it feels good. Or, um, you know, we don't want to be uncomfortable. We don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. So we, uh, we say, well, you know, I'm not going to say anything to them because even though what they're doing is wrong, if I say anything, it's going to make them uncomfortable. It's going to make me uncomfortable. They might get mad at me. Wait a minute. You know, what is our motive there? Yeah. Do we still want souls to come closer to Christ? Do we love God and do we, do we rejoice in that love and we rejoice in the fact that God loves us and we want to bring that love to others? Or are we going to keep it to ourselves? And I think living in the presence of God is that key, what you just said, being focused to know that God is with us. And even among those tough times that we're living in right now, whether there's some financial tough times,
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to the Bible with the Barbers. Mary Danielle is going to be talking about forgiveness, but I wanted to remind some of you who are listening right now that Father Don Calloway, friend of, the, of our ministry, we 20-some years ago got him into orbit with his uh, video, No Turning Back. He's going to be at a Divine Mercy Conference June 19th, that's Saturday, that's tomorrow at 10 a.m. in Lake Elsinore, and I'll be there also. And I'm going to tell you, my wife Mary Danielle will be there at the conference, and we'd love to see you there. If you want to go, you can call 951-219-5916. I'll repeat that number for tickets, 951-219-5916. And Mary Danielle, before we go into the forgiveness we are right at the end of uh, today. The bishops conference ended uh, a virtual vir- virtual conference with all of our bishops, and the issue came up on the Holy Eucharist whether that we should, you know, explain that um, we have to tell officials or anyone if they're not living in the state of grace objectively that they shouldn't be receiving Holy Communion when they're openly talking about evil things like abortion and supporting abortion. And I love what Bishop Strickland did. He said, I'm not going to wait for a document. The bishops didn't do it. I am going to tell Catholics that, that uh, you know, as, as, as a spiritual father and a shepherd, I are, urge us all to do all we can in each of our dioceses to emphasize a clear connection between, I like this, repentance, yeah. confession of sins, and a firm purpose of amendment and a worthy reception of our Lord really present in the consecrated bread and wine. I found that rewarding, and I just got this this morning, and he said, I speak in support of a drafting of a formal statement on the meaning of the Eucharist, but he's saying I can't wait for that document. He says this, we must be willing to suffer Amen. as well take up a cross of our sinfulness and make our firm purpose and amendment for our sinful ways before we re- 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 approach the Holy Eucharist. I mean, he's not saying anything new, but it's just refreshing to hear him say that. He says, this is true for every person who receives our Lord at Mass. And he said this, and I thought, I love what he said, Mary. He said, prominent persons cannot be held to a different standard. Amen. Just Roll. Be, yeah, just because she, you're the public eye doesn't mean you, you, you don't have to follow <coughs> you know, God's law. He says, as serious as this is, ultimately, these high-profile individuals are only a few souls the bigger issue is what we are teaching our children. Isn't Amen. that beautiful? Amen. He said, what are we teaching our, in our entire flock of the faithful? And he said this. He acknowledged this on our show, the Terry and Je- our Bishop Strickland show, every week. He says, many are confused and missing any connection between repenting of sin and receiving our Lord. Amen. Amen. Isn't it refreshing to hear him say Amen. this? Yeah. He said this, the Immaculate Virgin Mary is constantly urging us to repent of our sins Amen. and seek to live the gospel more vir- virtuously. And then he ends with this. In the year of St. Joseph, let us remind our flocks that Mary and Joseph were the first custodians of the body of Jesus. Amen. Oh, Amen. we must be spiritual fathers who echo this beautiful model of our Blessed Mother and St. Joseph as they urge us to seek an ever deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Amen. And I love the ending of the letter. We've used this quote from the Bible. As Jesus says in the gospel, according to John, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Signed, Bishop Joseph Strickland, the Bishop of Tyler, Texas. Okay. I got excited to read that, Larry. Amen, and, and God bless Bishop Strickland, and we pray for our bishops, pray yeah. for the conversion and healing of, of our bishops, and, like that. and that they will teach, govern, and sanctify the church in accord with God's holy mm-hmm. will, and they will faithfully safeguard and pass on the sacred deposit of faith. I, I'm beginning to wonder if some of them even believe there is a sacred deposit of faith. Yeah. You know, we use that term, and people are like, well, what are you talking about, some ephemeral, ethereal? Mm-hmm. No, we're talking about the reality of what Jesus Christ revealed when he walked among his apostles and what he established in his church, and that, that is a, you know, living in the liturgy. But he, God gave us the scriptures. He gave us the writing. You know, in, in written word, his words are there in the Bible, and then he gave us his son, mm. who, who is first and foremost the word of God. Yeah. And, and then he gave us the church. Amen. And the church is the one who is the custodian of everything he gave. Mm. So you, you have the sacred tradition that he gave through the church. Yeah. And most of that is in the living liturgy of the church. So that's why the way we pray is the way we believe. And that's why it's so important not to take the prayers of the church and, and um, <laughs> you know, be footloose and fancy free with them. It's important that we follow the liturgy of the church. And I, it was interesting. We had a, a question this week from the, an app listener was asking about the neocatechumenal movement. And I'm like, right. I don't even, you know, neocatechumenal. Yeah. You know, I thought it was RCIA. You yeah, know. No. Well, apparently it wasn't. There was a movement no, founded in the it. 1960s. Sure. And, sure. and uh, essentially their catechesis is great. And it's just yeah. lay people going out and catechizing. Right. And that's wonderful. The difficulty came in when the neocatechetical movement started playing footloose and fancy free yeah. with the liturgy. Now, the church has approved the neocatechumenal movement as a movement, but it is said you cannot change the sacred liturgy of the church. Mm. Remember, at Vatican II, the church said that the church is the guardian of the sacred liturgy, particularly the holy sacrifice of the mass. And every mass is an act of universal worship of the universal church. And so it's governed by the church, the, bishop, the, the holy father and the, and the bishops in union with him. And so it's not for lay people or individual priests to be, and it says in that document, not even a priest can change anything in the mass on his own authority. That's right. So because why? Because this is, this is Jesus Christ's Paschal mystery is presented to us and all of the sacraments of the church flow from the Eucharist and point to the Eucharist because the Eucharist is really Christ present among us, body, blood, soul, and divinity. Do we understand that? And do we understand that we cannot approach God if we're living in a state of sin. And it's interesting because in the Old Testament you had this where you know the people were told whenever God was going to speak to the people, the people were told, purify yourselves. Mm-hmm. In other words, repent of your sins and give up your sins mm-hmm. and get ready to meet with God. <laughs> so, you know, and, and, and in the New Testament too, Paul says you can't receive the body and blood of our Lord unworthily. Because yeah. if you do, you're guilty of killing him. You're guilty of the blood of the Lord. And you are receiving condemnation. Yeah. So this idea that we can tell people, well, you know, you don't, you can, you can pick and choose what you want to believe in the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. and you can still come to communion. No, honey, it doesn't work that way. It's not about my opinion, or even Bishop so and so's opinion, or Cardinal so and so's opinion, or you know, even even Pope Francis's opinion as a private theologian. It's about what did Jesus Christ leave to His Church, and this all ties in with the idea of forgiveness. People 
don't be afraid to confess your sins to the Lord. God knows everything you've done. There's nothing you did, no matter how dark it was, no matter how secret you think it was, that you don't have a single thought. You don't have a single inclination within you. You don't have a single movement of your flesh Mm -hmm. that's so hidden from the world that isn't seen by God. God sees it all, and he sees our response to it. Mm. You know, when we're tempted to sin and we say, no, I don't want that, God sees that. And the angel, and he shows the angels and they rejoice. You see this sinner? He said, no. He cooperated with my grace. And they rejoice. You see this sinner? He repented. And I, we got a great story we heard this oh, week. Oh, I can't wait to hear it. A sister Man. from India. Tell us. In 1995, and this sister had been sent to the north of India. She, was, she grew up in Kerala, which is a very Catholic part of India. Southern part of India. Mm-hmm. In the south. And she went up to the north to, to work there. And she was working among the people. And, oh and she was... Teaching the people yeah. that they didn't have to depend. There were money lenders there in the area who had control of money, and they would, but they would lend the money at usury, and they would abuse the people. So she was teaching the people how to be free of this and how to be self-sufficient. Well, <clears throat> some of the money lenders got very angry about this. I bet. And there was some kind of an uprising and something. Anyway, some things happened, but... The deal, the upshot of it was that the sister wasn't liked, and there were there were people among the moneylenders who really hated her. So they they got three guys together to to say you gotta you gotta we're gonna gotta finagle somehow to kill this lady. So she was gonna go home to visit her family. So she's getting on a bus. All the buses are all canceled, and then there's a bus pulling out. And they said, "What about that bus?" "Oh, okay, yeah, you can go on that bus." <laughs> so she went on that bus, and on that bus there were three men who were constantly badgering her about what she was doing about her work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they get into a forest and, and one of the men has the bus driver stop and he grabs off, jumps off the bus and he grabs a coconut and he breaks it. And he's, I guess this is a sign of exuberance and I'm so happy I'm sharing this with you. And, and he's sharing it with everybody, he goes to sister and he, uh, he offers it to her, but then he pulls it back. And sister said, what are you so happy about today? And he pulls out a knife and he says this and he starts stabbing her. Oh my gosh. And he kills her. He drags her off the bus and kills her. And everybody's horrified and they're afraid they're next, you know, so nobody does anything. And he actually killed her. Well, he and his companions flee into the forest. Well, they were caught within three days, and they were put in jail. But sister, um, you know, she, she died saying Jesus, mm. Jesus, 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 all the time that he was killing her. Wow. She just called on the name of the Lord, and mm-hmm. she called on the name of the Lord. And after she died, it was so beautiful because the family of this sister wanted to forgive the man. Who, who murdered their daughter, their sister, their... Mm-hmm. One, of their, one of her sisters was a religious sister also, and she had cancer, and she was very ill. And she, she was so upset, she said, Jesus, my sister just wanted to serve the poor and, and serve you in the poor, and why did you let her die all alone in horrible suffering? And Jesus spoke to the heart of, of, of uh, Soma, her sister, anyways, her sister who was a religious nun, and said... My, I was with her, and so was my mother. Oh boy, she wasn't alone, and that brought peace yeah. to um, Sister Ronnie Marie's sister, and it it brought her to the point to realize I need to forgive the man who did this, and so that started the path. And then she said, "Well, what about my family?" And so eventually, what happened was the family worked for this man to get out of jail because he did show signs of repentance in jail. He was sorry for what he did. He had been egged on by somebody, but, you know, like anything, we get in with a bad group and we're egged on to do all kinds of horrible things. Mm. You know, that's why we don't get in with bad groups, people. But Jesus had said this, right? Forgive your enemies and forgive, because if you don't forgive, I won't forgive you. What? Yeah. 
Jesus really said that. Remember that in the after the Our Father there, just before today's reading? Mm-hmm. And he says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive that men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly father forgive your trespasses. And it's not just once in the New Testament. I, I was looking it up this morning and there's a whole list of passages where this is, if you forgive, you will be forgiven. And so Sister Ronnie Marie's family chose to forgive the man who murdered their daughter and their sister. And they got to meet him. They got to tell him they forgave him. They said, we adopt you as our son, as our brother. Mm-hmm. And, and so now this man changed his life. He, he was a farmer before he did this, and he went back to farming, and he tends the grave of, of Sister Ronnie Marie. He takes care of it and decorates it. And he lives a life of penance. And, and it, it's just beautiful because here is this man. He was sent to jail for life for what he did. But he showed signs of repentance because the family of the woman that he murdered was willing to forgive. And he had a really hard time believing it. How could you forgive me? And how many times have you heard that in this world? How can you forgive someone who hurt you? Mary, we've got a CD called The Hidden Power of Forgiveness Forgiveness by Dr. Scott Hahn and also Deacon Bob McDonald. Either one is fantastic. Call 877-526-215. We'll be right back. Bible with the Barbers. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, Terry, Terry took, stepped out of the studio here, and um, so we're, we're going, he's going to go get lunch for us because <laughs> so, he has a meeting after our show. So, Anyway, we want to talk about, we're talking about forgiveness and the importance of forgiveness, and it, it's interesting um, you know, I, Terry listens to, um, is it AM 870? You know, the answer. And, um, you know, oftentimes there's a, there's a host on that particular, um, station that says he doesn't believe people can really forgive unconditionally. Well, this is the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the whole world. This is what we're called to do. And, uh, we told the story in the second segment there. I told the story of sister Ronnie Marie of India who was killed uh, because of her work among the poor and freeing the poor from being abused by the moneylenders. And um, the man who, who actually killed her was converted and um, because of the forgiveness that her family offered to him. And it, a beautiful part of the story, you know, it's just that, that her sister was like, you know, oh my gosh, you know, how, Jesus, how could you let this happen to my sister? She was just trying to serve you, and she died all alone. And Jesus s- spoke to her heart and said, no, I was with her, and so was my mother. And her sister, by the way, was dying of cancer. And, and um, after Sister Ronnie Marie died, her sister um, appeared to her and came to her room, and, she, and, and her sister was cured of the cancer. So this forgiveness was exercised, Sister Ronnie Marie you know, showed this great love for the, the people who killed her. She prayed to Jesus the whole time she was dying. And, and then this, this man who, who um, killed her, she, her family forgave him, and he was converted. And this is the power of forgiveness. We think, you know, if somebody's hurt me, I can't forgive them. Maybe we can't forgive them with our own, you know, our own, uh, on our own, what do you call that, our, our own resources. But we have Christ. What did Jesus say on the cross? Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. You know, we have that. Jesus tells the parable 
in Matthew um, uh, 18 of the, the servant who wouldn't forgive his fellow servant. Remember, the servant's brought in. He's got a huge debt. He's going he's gonna to be put in prison, and, and he begs the master, and so the master forgives him, and then he goes out, and he finds a fellow servant who owes him practically nothing, and he throttles the man and throws him in jail. So the master brings him in and says, you worthless lout, I forgave your whole debt. And you wouldn't forgive your fellow servant? So then the master threw the servant in jail and said, you're there till you pay back the last penny. You know, and your wife and your children are going to be sold to pay back your debt. It's like, oh my gosh. Yeah, Jesus is serious. We have to forgive. And it's interesting, in modern psychology, we, we recognize that, you know, when people don't forgive their enemies, it actually eats you up inside. When you don't forgive someone who's hurt you, you're giving the person who hurt you power over you, even though they may be totally out of your life, not even know you anymore. But you're letting them, you're letting your, your hatred for them control your life. If, if we forgive, that forgiveness brings renewal and peace. Just like Sister Ronnie Marie's family forgave this man. And then this man, it brought conversion. And this has happened not just once. This happens many, many times in the history of the church throughout the ages you know, where the forgiveness of a saint or the forgiveness of, you know, one Christian has brought about the conversion of other people. And it's interesting because I'm, I'm reading right now. I told last week I brought up the story of Father Aloysius Schwartz. Now, Sister Ronnie Marie is beatified. She died in 1995. This is, we're talking about our times. We were living, 1995. Three of our children were already born. We had one son who was born in 1997, but three of our children were already born. So in their lifetime, this woman was martyred in India, and she's now been beatified. In 2017, she was beatified by the church. So we have uh, Father Aloysius Schwartz, who was a venerable. And Father Schwartz, after the Korean War, went to Korea, and he started what was called the Korean Relief Society, which became the Asian Relief Society, which today is World Villages for Children, and he wanted to help the poor. And the deal is, what's interesting about Father Schwartz's story, Father Schwartz grew up in poverty, in Washington, D.C. Can anything good come out of Washington? As Father Donald Calloway said in his endorsement on the book, well, we might very possibly have a saint come out of Washington, D.C. Aloysius Schwartz has already been declared venerable. <laughs> He's on his way. And what does this have to do with the Bible? It has to do with the fact that we will praise these godly men, our ancestors, who show us the way. Father Aloysius Schwartz suffered from living in poverty, not because his parents were lazy or his father was a drunkard, was just hard times. He was born in 1930, the, the, the Depression, the Great Depression, and then the, you know, all that went with it and, and the war. And it was just a hard time. And his, his family was very poor. But he did go to seminary and he became a priest, but he kept following God's call. And all along the way, there were obstacles to him following what he believed God was calling him to do. And, and there were many people he had to forgive along the way. At, he, he had first gone into, a, I guess, maybe a junior prep seminary. It was um, in, in Washington, D.C., and then he transferred from there to um, the Maryknoll Seminary. But in the Maryknoll Seminary, he, he felt a calling to a deeper poverty and a closer uh, identification with the poor than what he observed in Maryknoll. And so he transferred to Belgium. He asked to be transferred to Belgium to um, uh, the Society of... Um, a mission auxiliary or something. It was the SAMs, S-A-M, SAMUS, they were called. S-A-M were the initials. It was uh, in French, Society Auxiliary Missions or something. I, I don't know French, but you could kind of look at the words and be asked what it means. And 
And so when he decided to leave Mary Nolan go to Europe, to Belgium for his seminary training, to finish his seminary training, everyone in his family told him, this is the worst mistake you're making. This is really bad. And he had, there was one, his dad had a sister, blood sister, who was a religious sister. She was a sister of Notre Dame Dana Moore, who worked among the, the poor um, in Washington, D.C., and she was transferred eventually. But she and, and, and Aloysius were very close, and she, they often corresponded. And when she found out he was going to Belgium, she was really upset, and she just let him know, this was, no, this is wrong. You should stay with Mary Knoll. You're, you know, you're being deluded. Anyway, he went on to Belgium, and, but there's obstacles, obstacles, obstacles all the way along. In Belgium, he goes to Belgium. He doesn't speak French, and he doesn't speak Latin. He knew Latin from the Mass, but he didn't know Latin to study everything, and all of his classes were in Latin or, or French. So he gets to Belgium. He's already, the semester's already started, and he's got to learn French and Latin. In addition to that, he's got to catch up. <laughs> so, and, and some people, are they're making fun of him. <clears throat> and who is this American stranger, this cowboy coming in? Who does he think he is? And, you know, he was persecuted. He was persecuted, but he never complained, and he didn't get bitter or angry with the people. And, and all along throughout his seminary training and then in the course of his mission, he comes against these obstacles, these obstacles. And every time he sees this as an opportunity to become conformed more and more to Christ, I've asked to be like Christ, the poor Christ. And he said, you know, as, a, as disciples of Jesus, we have to be poor. Jesus was poor. He wasn't abject poverty, maybe, but he was born in a stable. He didn't have his own crib, okay? He had to flee to Egypt as an infant. And then from Egypt, they went to Nazareth. And his father was a, a, a laborer. And yeah, he worked, but they didn't have a lot. They didn't have a fancy home. They didn't have indoor plumbing. They didn't have running water hot and cold. They didn't have electrical heating. They didn't have television and radio. And, but they had God. And they had the joy of living in union with God. And they had prayer. And they had a daily life of living in the presence of God. And Mary and Joseph were, were both very much, very close. I mean, Blessed Mother was the closest to God of any human being on earth because human person on earth, human person. Jesus was a human being. He wasn't a human person. He was a human being. He united to, his, his human nature was united to the, to the Godhead, to the divine nature of the second person of the Blessed Trinity. So he was the closest human being to God. But Mary was the closest human person to God. She had no sin. And Joseph was a close second to Mary because Joseph had been prepared for his vocation as the guardian of the Redeemer. And, and Pope Leo XIII tells us that Joseph shared in the prerogatives of, of the Virgin Mary by virtue of his marriage to her. So God graced Joseph with the graces he needed for his vocation. Okay. So you have this living in the presence of God and forgiving. You know, Mary and Joseph don't hate the Romans and grumble against them all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem when Caesar calls the census and Mary's nine months pregnant. It's like, oh, God found a way to get us to Bethlehem so because the, they know Jesus is the Messiah. Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And then after Bethlehem, they got to flee to Egypt to get away from Herod, but they're not cursing Herod the whole way they're going to Egypt. And then they come back to the Holy Land. And apparently Joseph was planning on going back to Bethlehem because an angel appears to him in a dream and warns him that Herod's son is worse than Herod, so he better not go back to Bethlehem. So he goes up to Nazareth, back where he came from. <laughs> but he's not cursing the people. He's forgiving. And, and how do we know this? Because Jesus, as, as, as Father said in his sermon on Wednesday on St. Joseph, Jesus learned to work from St. Joseph. He learned to pray from St. Joseph. 
His human nature was formed and developed in the home at Nazareth. And he learned from Mary and Joseph how to pray, how to forgive, how to work, how to be poor and be grateful to God in all circumstances for everything that God gave, even if it was only a little. We have a sufficiency, okay? But we don't hate our enemies. And same with Father Aloysius Schwartz. He learned how to forgive, and he had a lot to forgive. You got to get his book. It's called Priest and Beggar, uh, Father, uh, written by Wells. The last name of the author is Wells. It's from Ignatius Press. But you can also, there are books that he wrote. He wrote a book on poverty. He wrote a book, um, there's a book called Killing Me Softly, which eventually Father Schwartz died of um, Lou Gehrig's disease. And he writes about that. So, we are called to forgiveness. We are called to love our enemy, to pray for those who persecute us, right? Jesus said, what is there for those who love their family? Even the pagans do that. Now, I ask you to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. And remember, Peter will ask Jesus, how often must I forgive my brother? Seven times? And Peter thinks he's being extremely generous because that numbers had meanings that went beyond, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven to the Jews. And seven was a perfect number. So it's like, you know, you're, 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 you're saying a lot when you say you're willing to forgive your brother seven times. And this is in Matthew 18. You can read it. And, and Jesus says to Peter, what? I say to you, not seven times, but 70 times, seven times. Every time someone offends you, you have to be willing to forgive them. But thank you for joining us here on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday. We haven't even given the date yet, June 18th. And we'll be back with more. Father's Day is coming up this Sunday. Let's forgive and make peace in our families and ask God to be the King of Jesus Christ to be the King and center of our families. Don't go away. We'll be back with more on Bible with the Barbers. Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, Call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, June the 18th. And uh, we're talking about forgiveness. And where does this idea come from in the scriptures? Of course, in the Old Testament, what was it? You know, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for the tooth, right? Well, here's the deal. In in, uh, Matthew 5, verse 38, Jesus says, You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist one who is evil. But if one strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would say to would sue you over your coat, give him your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile with him, go with him two miles. Give to him who begs from you and do not refuse those who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you salute only your brethren, What more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Jesus is calling us to something that is way beyond our capacity. That's why we pray. 
That's why we turn to the Lord every day. That's why we should begin our day with a personal encounter with the Lord through prayer. And we have to continue that day by living in his presence consciously and practicing the presence of God. And we have to begin to forgive our enemies. Now, granted, remember something. We are human. We have a body. We have emotions, okay? I understand. If someone really hurts you, it may take a while for your emotions to come to the point where they can forgive. But here's the deal. Make the act of the will to forgive. Say, Lord, I don't want to commit a sin of revenge or anger or hatred toward the person who did this evil. I want to be able to forgive them. So I don't consent to the sin of anger or revenge or hatred. I make the act of the will to forgive, but I'm going to let my emotions be felt. I'm going to allow myself in your presence, Lord, to feel my emotions and to give them to you so that I can work through the emotion and bring the emotion to the point where my emotions are coming alongside and they're not rebelling against me. They're willing to listen to my intellect to say, yes, it hurts. I understand that it hurts, but that hurt doesn't necessarily represent reality. Well, what am I talking about? Sister Ronnie Marie's family, Aloysius Schwartz, had they clung to the bitterness towards those who had hurt them, it would have destroyed their possibility to grow in Christ. And, and it, there's an example in, in Aloysius Schwartz's life, and that's, there was a priest, uh, uh, he was the rector of the seminary for the society, uh, um, the Sam, Sam, the Samists Society in Belgium. And this priest had been very much committed to holiness and trying to live with the Lord. But during the war, he ended up being caught by the Gestapo. He was from Belgium. He worked with the French resistance and he was caught by the, and he caught by the Gestapo and he spent, he spent the remainder of the war was, he was caught in 1943. He was in four different prison camps. The last one was Dachau. Okay. Now he lived through it, but he came back a different man. He was broken and there was an anger in him, an anger that wouldn't let go of him. And he almost destroyed Aloysius Schwartz's vocation. When Aloysius Schwartz goes back to America to be ordained, this priest wrote to the, to the, the, to, um, the Cardinal of Washington, D.C. and said, no, we, we don't think this man is fit for the priesthood. We think he's mentally deranged and spiritually um, there's something wrong. And I was like, what? I mean, if you thought that, why, why didn't you tell us that a year ago? Well, you know, everything's arranged now. He's coming back. They got the letter on June 11th, you know, and he was supposed to be ordained on June 29th. But it's his anger, the anger. And that's it. When we don't forgive, when we, when we don't, and, and you can read, was it um, Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl's book, you know, that talks about what happens to us. And this, is, this isn't non-biblical in the sense that this is, to understand how the human person works is very biblical because God made us. And we can wonder at how the human, the human person is very complex. We have a body, soul, and spirit. We're, we're a complex being. And our body has all kinds of faculties. You know, we have to eat. We have to sleep. We have to drink water. We have to um, clean ourselves. We have our skin, our, you know, all of our systems, our circulatory system, our respiratory system, our reproductive system, our, all these systems that I'm, you know. And, and, and then you have the 11 emotions. <laughs> and there are 11 emotions, by the way. And all these emotions people talk about nowadays are, you know, love, hate, joy, sorrow, desire, aversion, audacity, fear, hope, despair, and anger. 
okay? And we have different names for all of those 11 so that people think that there's 88 emotions. No, there's 11 emotions. We have 11 emotions. 11 rebellious children, and most of us can't even name them. Well, those are 11 rebellious children living within us, and they need to learn to um, come alongside our intellect and will. Our intellect is supposed to know God, and our will is supposed to choose the good. God is the good we're supposed to choose. And so Aloysius Schwartz didn't hold a grudge against this, this man, this, this rector of the seminary in Belgium, actually caused him a lot of pain. And he didn't like him. And because he didn't like him, in the end, he wrote a nasty letter to the Bishop of, of Washington, D.C. to try and stop his ordination. And Aloysius Schwartz didn't, he didn't even feel sorry for himself because he got a letter from the same man, a direct letter telling him that, no, you're not fit to be a priest. And his brother and sister who were closest to him because he was home with his family for his ordination, they said, it didn't, he didn't become downcast, he didn't become depressed, he didn't become angry, he continued his prayer, he continued working, you know, just being kind with everybody around him, he continued being his same old self, cheerful, joyful, he had trained his emotions <laughs> to say, you know, yeah, th- this is, God's allowing this trial, he has a reason for it, and that's it, God allows trials in our lives, he doesn't, sen- he doesn't God never wills sin, okay, he never wills sin. But he uses it for the good. He can turn it to the good. So if someone in your family has been injured or hurt, pray for the people who did that. If you've been injured or hurt, ask God to give you the grace to be able to forgive. It's okay to feel the emotion and acknowledge that you feel the emotion. You know, and if there's a lot of anger, you might even need to work that out because of adrenaline. I'm angry, the emotion of anger produces adrenaline because when we're angry, it's because God gave us the emotion of anger in order to correct injustice. So we're either supposed to run away if we can't correct the injustice or maybe we're supposed to fight it. And, you know, fight or flight. when well, we need adrenaline to do either of those. But that's what anger does. It produce, and So you have to work that out. And there are different ways you can do that. You can shadow box, but not, not like you're pretending like you're hitting somebody. It's like, Lord, I don't consent to the sin of anger. I'm going to work out this emotion of anger, you know, by doing physical exercise. You know, like the couple who got married and said, they, they made an agreement that instead of fighting with each other, if they got angry, he would go for a walk and she would clean the kitchen. And he was always in great shape and her kitchen was the cleanest kitchen on the block. <laughs> but, but it's not just walking. It's, it's like, okay, I'm going to walk away until I cool down. And then when we discuss, we will come back and discuss what's, what is the difference. And this is what happened with uh, Father Schwartz. He had to go to the superior of the order of the Samists. And the, the superior of the order of the Samists, um, went ahead and approved his ordination, but, but this one priest almost stood in the way. And, and again, this, it continued to happen throughout his, his, his work. And sometimes it wasn't uh, deliberately on anybody's part. Sometimes it was illness. But again, we get angry, don't we? We got cancer. We got diagnosed with cancer. It's like, why, Lord? Why me? And it's like, do you know what good you can do with this? Do you know that you could be a spiritual nuclear power plant by saying, Lord, I, will, I, w- I wish you would heal me of this cancer, but whatever, whatever is your will, I want to accept your will and I want to offer my sufferings in union with you in a way that's going to bring glory to your name, that's going to bring about your kingdom and that, that your will be accomplished in me. Forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. Forgive ourselves. And that was one of the things this, with the story of Sister Ronnie Marie, the man who killed her. After, his fam- after her family had forgiven him, then he was like, he started showing this anger. He said, but I can't believe I did this. And he starts, he starts tr- trying to mutilate his hands. 
And they're like, no, we forgive you. God has forgiven you. You need to forgive yourself. So if we're the ones who've perpetrated an injustice against someone, we need to forgive ourselves, but ask forgiveness from the person that we hurt. And maybe that person's not willing to forgive us, but say, you know what? I am really sorry. And even if you can't forgive me now, I want you to know that I'm sorry. And I'm praying that by God, we, by God's grace, we can be reconciled so that we can be together in heaven. And I'm so sorry for what I did. When you've hurt someone, go to God and tell him you're sorry. What is, you know, this is a beautiful act of love that we learned as children. Do we remember it? Oh my God, I love you above all things with my whole heart and soul because you are all good and deserving of all my love. I love my neighbor as myself for love of you. I forgive all those who have injured me and I ask pardon for all whom I have injured. Amen. Say that every day. Ask God for the grace to forgive. It destroys us as human beings. We're children of God. We are made in God's image. Isn't that the key? Because your father makes the sun to shine on the good and the bad and the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. God doesn't, you know, we're supposed to love because God loves, because God is love. That's the basic line of the gospel. That's what's so different from the, the Christian, different, make the Christian religion so different from any other religion in the world. That instead of saying, no, I'm going to go out and kill everybody who doesn't, you know, and even that, this man, this man who killed Sister Ronnie Marie, he hadn't done it on his own reconnaissance. He'd been pushed to it by someone else. And he had resolved that when he got out of jail, he was going to kill those men who pushed him to it, and then he was going to kill himself. But after he met her family and experienced the forgiveness and realized that, yes, I can truly be forgiven and God can forgive me and I can forgive others. So that you see an injustice had been done against him and then by force, by coercing him to do something he really want to do. And once he had done it, he knew this was a good woman. He knew she was a good woman. And, and, and so then he had to forgive. And so the forgiveness, and so instead of creating war and hatred and more destruction, now by the forgiveness, peace and reconciliation and healing, and most of all, that way souls can be saved because we go to God with a clean heart. God said he can't forgive us if we won't forgive our enemy. So please, God, help us to forgive our enemy. Help us to forgive all those who have hurt us. And this is Father's Day coming up this weekend. Pray for your fathers. Many people have been hurt by their fathers. Ask God to give you the grace to forgive them and to, and to pray for them. Come together with your families and celebrate forgiveness and God's mercy and his love. May it be outpoured upon all of us for the praise of the glory of God's name that his kingdom would come and his will be done. Hope to see you again next week on Bible with the Barbers.